Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Morning. Let's play a game. I even have prizes. Here's the rules. As soon as you can name the title of the film, raise your hand. Okay? As soon as you can name the title of the film, raise your hand. Don't name me the actor. Don't tell me like, I think it's the one with Freddie Prince Jr. Don't tell me that. Just want the title of the movie. If you know it, raise your hand. Back there, Mr. Matthews. Field of Dreams. Well done. Here's a lollipop for you. <laughs> babe. No, babe. Stay right there. Trust me. I'll just set it right here. I don't know what's for lunch yet. So. Well done. Remember, remember I owe you candy. Next one. That they may take our lives. But they'll never take freedom! Eric Lawrence. Braveheart. Well done. I think I can hit you from here. Nice catch. Interception. Wow. All right, next. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Addison. Well done. I owe you candy. I'm not going to throw it that far. Uh, next one. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Awesome. Commander of the armies of the north. General of the Felix Legions. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next. Gladiator, well done. Thank you, that's mine. Nice catch. <laughs> Another terrible throw. I could play for the. Never mind. Uh, next one. Hopefully. Get busy living. You get busy dying. Oh, really? Too obscure? Well done. Well done, young grasshopper. A little more obscure. Well done. But the Morgan Freeman was like, well, you better get busy living or get busy, right? All right. I owe you candy. All right. Uh, oh, this one is... Go ahead. Don't watch. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. To me, being a gangster was better than being president of the United States. <laughs> Duh! Denise, excuse me, I'm not good at this. Yeah. One more. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! 
Back there, Miss, Miss Cordy. Well done. All right, here we go. Eric, would you not impale somebody? All right, so if I owe you candy, don't let me, don't let me forget. Here's what's crazy. Is it has probably been years since many of you have watched those films. But based off of a few lines, all of a sudden, the visual came back. And you were like, I remember Jack Nicholson. And was it Tom Cruise? Yeah. Arguing in the courtroom, you want answers, you know? And then here it is. It's in your mind. It's powerful. It's powerful. Certain words in a certain arrangement bring certain feelings and emotions. It's the same with literature. It's the same with poetry. Let me read you a couple of lines. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. Robert Frost. Let me read you another one. It was the best of times... It was the worst of times. Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. Certain words in a certain pattern bring certain feelings. Why? Because partly we are beings that look for patterns this is what we look for we look for patterns in things i've i've even read studies that that suggest that when we are looking for somebody who we want to spend the rest of our life with one of the things that we subconsciously choose is symmetry of their face when there are certain words in a certain order it brings certain things mind it reminds you of when Mel Gibson is riding this horse and he's got blue paint down his face and he's yelling at the top of his lungs and you're thinking to yourself yes this is so good it's gonna end so bad but it's so good this was so important there's certain phrases that just take you back to certain places and you remember these things they were impactful they were inspiring. Maybe they were depressing. Maybe they were just meaningful. But this is what certain words in certain arrangements do. They trigger a chemical response that cause you to begin to shuffle through all of your memories and then filter out all these other ones and find the one and say, oh, get busy living or get busy dying. Seven words and all of a sudden, you pull a film from 1990 whenever. Wow. Speaking of chemical response, I would like to show you four letters that are seemingly unemotional letters, maybe give you a warm feeling, and then I'll show you the letters again. Here's the first one. Hope. Trigger any response in anybody? Okay, what about now? 
different. Right? <laughs> now, don't vote now. I don't, don't start a riot. I'm just, I'm just saying, for some, it's one of those, oh, yeah, hope. For others, it's like, Pfft. let me show you four other letters. Gamma. Any emotional response? No? How about now? Dun, dun, dun. Right? Why is it just the arrangement of the words? Now all of a sudden you're like, gamma, like what? Like gamma rays? Like, oh, President Trump? Really? Like that? All of a sudden it triggers something. Why? Because certain letters in a certain pattern do something different to the way we work and the way we operate. Anytime political propaganda is put out, it's intended to do that very thing. That's why with almost any world leader who there is a picture of or a poster of that they put up, that they want to be the poster, they're always looking with this look in their face like they're looking into the future. That's what I'm going to put on the website of my face, and me just being like... And people would be like, what is that picture? would be like, he's probably lost. Like, he's always lost. He's probably lost. But this is what happens. Any sort of political propaganda that goes out, it is intended to say, are you looking for hope? Then here's your man. Are you reminiscing about yesteryear? Then let's go with this guy. This is what it's intended to do. Rome, in the first century, was no different. There was an agenda that they were trying to push, that they wanted everybody to get on board with, and there were certain things that they did and said so that it would trigger some sort of response from the people around them. Roman propaganda suggested hope, or maybe we'll make it great again. This is what they did. But they did it differently than we do it. They didn't do it with posters, they didn't do it with the media. They did it with statues and inscriptions and coins. Let me show you a poster, I mean a statue of Augustus Caesar. I had to edit part of it. Um, this is him over here. He's got that faraway look in his eye like he's looking into the future and he's got his hand up like this like he's giving some sort of military order. And then all of a sudden he's got a cabbage patch hooked to his leg. In fact, the Cabbage Patch is actually riding a dolphin, which is odd. Except it's not a Cabbage Patch. It's a Cupid of some sort, suggesting military victory. And the dolphin, for whatever reason, you pick a dolphin, also means some sort of power, military power, military strength, kind of a naval battle type of thing. I don't know if you can see on the chest piece that he is wearing. I never noticed it before when he wore it, it just when I saw the statue. Once I saw it up close, look at all the things that are going on on the chest piece. There are pictures of gods. There are battle scenes. There are his enemies. And when you saw this poster, the intention was to look at it and say, wow, he is powerful. Wow. You don't just look at it and admire it. You look at it and you read it. And he's suggesting something. This is Caesar Augustus right here. 
There's all sorts of stuff that's going on on this, on this breastplate. And it's powerful. He had several names that he liked to go by, this man, Caesar Augustus. Let me read a few of them to you and maybe see kind of if there's an emotional response. He liked to call himself Divi Phileas. Divi Phileas, which in Latin means son of the divine. He also went by the name Curios, which is Greek for Lord. He also went by the name Soter, which is Greek for Savior. He also went by the name Pontifex Maximus, which means high priest. Let me show you one more coin. Luke gave me this really cool thing so that I can point to stuff. Right here? Son of the divine Julius. You know what that means? Son of God. Caesar Augustus. And then over here, Pontifex Maximus. Over here. If he wanted you to know who he was, we would take a mint it on a coin and then we would send it out through everywhere. That way, anytime you went somewhere and you had a little jingle in your pocket, you could know that it was done by the one and the only Caesar Augustus, son of God. It's also interesting that in Matthew 22, when somebody comes up and they say to Jesus, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus says, show me a denarius. And so they pull out the denarius and they says, whose inscription and image is on it? And they said, Caesar's. It's very possible that the very person who was on that was Caesar Augustus. Maybe this coin. Son of God, high priest. Which is so interesting because then Jesus says, whose inscription? Whose image? It must belong to him. It's also interesting that Jesus did not have one in his pocket. Almost guilty by implication. Like, who has one? I don't. Who does? Oh. The other interesting part is then Jesus turns and says, so if it's got his image and his inscription, his name all over it, then give it back to him. But whatever you have that has the image of God in the inscription, give to God, which is you. What bears the image and inscription of God? You. Give it back to him. Caesar Augustus loved to call himself these other names, to go by these names. Anytime you had to pay taxes, you could pull a coin out of your pocket and it had his picture and his name on it. This is for you from Caesar Augustus. Don't forget. When you would go into stores, there would be these little fires burning and there'd be a pinch of incense 
that was piled up around there, and you would take a pinch of it, some people called it salt, and you would throw it into the fire, and when you did, you would say, Caesar is Lord. And there are many Christians who wouldn't do it in the first century. Caesar is Lord. Take a pinch of salt, take a pinch of uh, uh, incense, throw it in the fire. Caesar is Lord. And there were some who would say, no, I'm not doing it. And they're persecuted, murdered. Not doing it. He had to go around and make sure that everybody saw. You know what else is interesting about him? That there's no pictures or statues of old Caesar Augustus. If you look him up and you say, Caesar Augustus statues, just scroll right through it. You know what you won't find? A wrinkled up Caesar Augustus. That's what you won't find. Do you know why? Because it's on purpose. He wanted to give off the impression that he was ageless. But he died. Nobody saw him ever. I mean, you're talking, he's got this massive expanse. Massive expanse. It's not like you're going to see him. And so what you get is this young, very muscle-bound ruler. He's your leader. He's draped in victory. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. But it didn't stop there. It moved on into inscriptions. And so inscriptions, somebody would roll through town, commissioned by Caesar, and they would chisel on a great big stone and put it in a marketplace, and they would set it up so that you would know what's going on next. This is from the kingdom. And when this kind of news rolled through town, it was called good news, or good tidings, or glad tidings, or gospel. The gospel. Did you hear the gospel? Not like when people say it now. Back then, it was a technical term. Did you get the gospel? Did you hear the gospel? No, what's the gospel? Everything's changing. Caesar decreed it. Oh, really? What's changing? Go down to the marketplace. Read it for yourself. In fact, over 2,000 kilometers away from Rome, they found this inscription. The Prian calendar inscription in Prian, Turkey. They found this inscription. I don't have any idea what it says. But I read some folks who do know what it says. And let me give you a translation. The birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. One more time. I need you to burn this into your mind. The birthday of the god Augustus, the god Augustus, was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. This is just a portion. The whole thing is basically a call to say we will be changing the calendars from this point forward. Don't go by the old calendar. We're using a new calendar, and the new calendar is this. It's based off of Caesar Augustus' birthday. So now everybody will change. Even those 2,000 kilometers away will change the way everything goes on. Your world now revolves around Caesar Augustus, and you will never forget it when you're trying to figure out when your birthday is next. Caesar Augustus. 
And then something crazy happened. Something just crazy happened. This little grassroots group sprouted up from nearly nothing, following some seemingly homeless, destitute street preacher from Nazareth. And he built a pretty good following. I mean, it was in the thousands. But he never wrote like any big manifesto. In fact, he never wrote anything that we have recorded. Nothing. We have nothing written by him. He had people who just swarmed around him. There were certain people he went to and he called them and he said, I want you to come follow me. And they were like, I got a job, but it's, it's really kind of a, it's going nowhere. It's on my dad's fishing boat. I mean, can I, it's cool. It's like, come with me. What are we doing? It's kind of complicated and hard to explain. Come on. Other people setting tax booths. One was a zealot, which is basically like a, I mean, I don't want to say an assassin, like the far end of Judaism assassin, but if you're a zealot, it's kind of one of those, I'd rather spit on a Roman soldier or shank him than look at him. And he calls one of those guys, which is interesting because he also calls a tax collector who was a Jew, which is, there's not a bigger traitor. So if anybody's going to shank each other across the fire in the evenings when they're sitting around roasting marshmallows and talking spiritual, Simon the Zealot's kind of looking at Matthew, the tax collector, like, in another life, I'd have had you. I'd have stuck you. It's a good thing Jesus showed up when he did. So this little grassroots movement just kind of builds some momentum. And then it kind of, it kind of ticked off the wrong folks. And it came down. They put him to death. Three days later, he was resurrected. Everybody then knew it. They tried their best to deny it. They tried to cover it up. They tried to do all they could do. There was nothing they could do. And it just kept going and going and growing. Let me ask you a question. I just need you to just raise your hand if you have. When is the last time you went to a monthly meeting for Caesar Augustus? Go ahead and raise your hand. The last time you went to a weekly meeting on Caesar Augustus? Last time you sat in on a lecture on Caesar Augustus and you thought, maybe this would be interesting. I think I'll go to this lecture on Caesar Augustus. Are you kidding me? Like he changed the calendar. Are you not aware of this? And this little grassroots movement just kept moving on, doing this thing. One more time. Let's read that. Let's read that. Uh, the pre calendar one. The birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. The beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel. And so this grassroots movement just keeps going. And finally, they kill Jesus and they think they've got it snuffed out. And then the thing just explodes. Are you familiar with the term planarian? Have you heard of a planarian? Anyone? Yeah, you know a planarian? What happens if you cut one in half? It multiplies. It multiplies. What happens if you cut it long ways? It multiplies. What happens if you cut it halfway down? It you know what you hate about planarians and Christians? Is that the second you take a knife to them, they grow. 
As soon as Christians are persecuted, this is what happens. It's the most bizarre design in the world. You know what we should do? Cut it in half. And what? Make more? Why don't we leave them alone? Why don't we numb them? Why don't we make them comfortable? Why don't we make the church something that is more like a social club instead of somebody getting pushed around or bossed or held to a high standard? Well, because if we can numb them to sleep, we don't have to worry about them doing anything. Let's make them fat and happy. Then we don't have to do anything. They will eventually just die of spiritual obesity. Religious freedoms? Are you kidding me? That's exactly what the church doesn't need. As soon as it becomes one of those things to where it's a national religion, it will go down the toilet. We can bark and holler about politics all we want and say, well, this was founded on a Christian nation. Listen, if we ever get back to that place where we're like, yeah, this is what it's going to be. It's not going to be what we hope. It's going to get weak. And so these people take out and they begin to try to kill Christians. And as soon as they do, the movement erupts. In fact, I can prove it to you. Here we are. How many of you have been to Rome? How many of you have family in Rome? How many of you got the gospel from Rome? How many of you? And this little grassroots movement, so all the Christians are around there, and then the Caesars are being deified all the time and turned into these sons of God. And they're saying all of these things, and like, don't forget Caesar is Lord. And they're doing this thing, bread and circus, and Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, which is a sword, really. And there's this whole idea of, you know what? Rome is in charge. You see, there was not this political and religious separation. It wasn't this thing like, well, you know what? Separation of church and state. Here's what it was. We're the state, and since the Senate voted, now I'm God. A pie. This is how it went. This is your option. No other option. This is your option. It's total takeover. And so the Christians in Rome are beginning to feel this pressure of this isn't getting, this isn't going well. Because after Caesar, after Augustus, we had another one, and he wasn't much better. And Augustus reigned while Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, he was on the throne when Jesus was born. This, uh, this uh, inscription that was found in Turkey, 9 BC, nine years before the birth of Jesus. And so then finally, Nero takes the throne. Another Caesar who this man's maniacal. All of them are, but this one, maniacal. Somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. The Messiah has come. He has promised to return, but we haven't seen him in a while, and we're beginning to lose hope. The church is growing, but it's like, is he really coming back? He didn't leave a manifesto. He didn't leave a book. He didn't write the Bible. He was the Word, and now he's not here. And we got the Spirit, but... We got the Old Testament, we got the Torah, but he was here and now he's not here. And the Roman Christians had heard of this Jesus. Probably many of them never saw him. Probably most never saw him. 
And then all of a sudden, something happens. Just, just picture this with me for just a minute. The Christians are meeting at the first of the week, and there's this little group, and they're feeling a little, little down. Rome just continues to grow and be powerful and all of this. And this little group is just like, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, here comes this preacher, the guy who's going to facilitate the church meeting. And he comes running through the door, and he's got this thing under his arm, and he opens the door, and he shuts it behind him, and he says, okay, listen, you need to, you need to sit down, and you need to listen to this. You're not going to believe this. There was a man somewhere else. He was, I don't know, Middle East, Jerusalem. I don't know. He, he's that, he's, he's, I don't know. But he wrote something and it's for us. And he's sending it out everywhere. He's sending this thing out everywhere. You're not going to believe what he wrote. You're not going to believe this. People begin to scoot in like, what are you talking about? You're not, this is, you're not going to get this. This is going to absolutely blow your mind. I did not know that what we were doing was as important as what it is that we're doing. They're like, get on with it. Read it. And he opens up the Gospel of Mark, a handwritten copy of the Gospel of Mark, and this is what he reads. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, Son of God. And then somebody whispers, we're taking on Rome? Yeah, we're taking on Rome. I mean, that is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is subversive, anarchy. What are you, who is this? This is a brazen, rogue disciple. Listen, you can say all day long. Listen, people who follow Jesus, I mean, they make really good neighbors. I mean, just people who follow Jesus make good neighbors. Maybe they do. But you know what? They make great revolutionaries too. And here comes Mark with this handwritten copy. And he starts it off by saying, by the way, Caesar, you might want to get up. You're standing, sitting in Jesus' chair. Have you seen the movie Silverado? Has it been years since you've seen the movie Silverado? No one's seen that? Take some time this holiday season. Would you stop being a pagan? Watch the film. <laughs> Silverado, Kevin Klein, Kevin Costner. Who else? Danny Glover, John Cleet, Whatever. Point being, one scene, Kevin Klein walks into this bar and there's this old cowboy sitting there and he's got on this hat that belonged to Kevin Klein earlier in the film before he was mugged by this other group and he walks in and he stands right beside this man just like this and he goes, excuse me, you're wearing my hat. And in my mind, Jesus is this same kind of deal when he marches in and he looks at Caesar and he goes, that was real cute. That was real cute. But you're wearing my crown. Move. And everybody sitting in this little church service is looking at each other like, he's serious. Like, this is serious. We're taking on Rome. This is a direct 
aim at Caesar. Right in his face. Here's what's interesting. Caesar was to be the equal of the beginning. The beginning of all things. It's etched on everything. In the book of Colossians, 1.16 says this, For in him, speaking of Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, even Caesar, all things have been created through him and for him. Caesar changed the calendar, but I don't know if you realize this. We now go by something called Anno Domini. Do you know what that means? The year of our Lord. Do you know who it's in reference to? Jesus. Excuse me, you're standing on my calendar. You're sitting in my chair, you're wearing my crown, you're messing with my calendar. I don't think you know who I am. He just keeps showing up. Caesar's gospel message was good tidings and good news for only a few people. It's just the upper crust that it's good news. Oh, Caesar's on the throne. Yeah. Could be worse. Could be worse. His gospel message was not good news for most people. His gospel message was this. By the way, I'm coming to your town next. As my kingdom expands, I'm coming to your town next. I'm taking over everything that you have. Heavy taxation, you can count on it. That's his good news. Do you know what Jesus' good news was? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. His good news was this. There is a free gift of salvation for you. Do you know Christ is not his last name? Like it doesn't say it on his driver's license. It doesn't say. H is not his middle initial either, but Christ is not his last name. <laughs> I appreciate you laughing. That's good. I had to think through that one a long time. Christ means anointed king. <sighs> About Jesus, the anointed king, the son of God. Have you ever seen that on a coin? <laughs> no. Not with Jesus' picture on it. No. This is the beauty of it. He's the anointed king. Last one, son of God. Mark's gospel was written between 60 and 70 A.D. By 306 A.D., Rome adopted Christianity. Rome adopted Christianity. Do you know what this means? That when Mark wrote this gospel message, when he wrote his story about who Jesus was, and he sent it out, when everybody got it and began to read it, brick by brick, Christians dismantled Rome with stories. You have a story, right? You have a story. Where you've been, what you've gone through, 
how you survived it, you have a story. It tears down empires. Less than 250 years later, Rome, is, Rome becomes a Christian nation. My guess is you go to Rome today and you can probably find more statues of Jesus than you can find of Caesar. What do you bet? It's a hostile takeover. Get on board. This is fun. We're taking over everything. And all of us flying in the face of everybody. Anybody who puts themselves up and says, I think I'll be the important potentate. I've got bad news for you. Jesus is coming. Jared, what does this have to do with Christmas? I don't know, but it seems kind of political to me. It kind of seems like there's this political thing that's going on. That Mark is hearkening back to a time to where he's like, oh, I know. I got it. What in the world would light everybody up? I could draw pictures of sheep in a stable and a little baby in a manger. I could do all that. But you know what we really need? A revolution. That's what we really need. I'll let somebody else tell the stories about the babies. I'm going to draw up the battle plans. I'm going to go ahead and pick the fight. If this has anything to do with Christmas, it would be this. Caesar came as a tyrant. He dominated everything around him. Kept himself away from the people, isolated, a holy God on a hill. You know what Caesar's last words were? Mm, this is so, this is so sad. To his wife and his adopted son, he looked at them on his deathbed and he said, Have I played the part well? Then applaud as I exit. That's the end? You know what Jesus' last words were? Which time? Father, forgive them. They got it all screwed up. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Or maybe you are his last words.